most of our time on what Haggai says in verses 12 to 15. Now, don't worry if you've, if you've never read Haggai before or you've never even heard about Haggai before. This, this message will hopefully make sense all on its own. So just to set the scene for where we're going this evening, let me just give some context as to what is happening in the first half of chapter one that we read together earlier. So Haggai was a prophet, and he was speaking during the time of the return of God's people from their exile in Babylon. And upon their return to Jerusalem, they were supposed to be focusing their time on rebuilding God's temple that had been destroyed. But as we read at the start of chapter one, instead of building God's temple, Instead of prioritizing his dwelling place and his purposes, the people they had turned their gaze inwards to themselves. They had turned their energies, they had turned their resources towards their own houses, to their own pleasures and plans, and in doing so, they were disobeying God. Their priorities, they were just completely out of step. Now, in verses 12 to 15 of chapter 1, what we see is, in fact, a remarkable turnaround in the people's attitudes and actions. We see them transformed from a people who have, for many years, ignored God's desire for them to rebuild the temple to a people who hear God's word spoken and obey and obey. And and it is this topic, this wonderful theme of obedience that we're going to spend our time unpacking tonight. Now, immediately, maybe, maybe for some of you, I can sense that when you hear the word obedience, it doesn't really get you excited. Yeah, especially in an evening service, perhaps some of us are a little bit sleepy after a long week. It doesn't really get you excited. In fact, for some of you, the word obedience is just a bit of a yuck term. Yeah, something that makes you uncomfortable, that sounds a bit dated, a bit old-fashioned. Perhaps if you're a Christian in here tonight, you may be thinking that obedience is just so Old Testament. Isn't it all about faith and all about freedom as a Christian? And if you're not a Christian, then you may be thinking that teaching on things like obedience is exactly why you disagree with the faith. There's just too many rules. There's too many commands in the Bible, and that's just not how you want to live your life. You want to be free to do what you want, when you want and how you want to do it. And now that life, it certainly sounds on the surface really attractive, doesn't it? A life, a life seemingly free from obeying. Well, listen, let me just say this right from the start here, that we all, whether we know it yet or not, we all obey something or someone every single day of our lives. And here, the truth of our passage is that... What we obey, who we listen to, it has a deep and profound effect on our lives and the type of lives that we live. So in our passage, what we're going to see is that obedience that flows from and finds its source in the right place is actually the way to the best life. Yeah, it is the way to the best life. Now, that may sound incredibly strange to you this evening. But stick with me here as we flesh this out together. So we're going to think about obedience under three headings. We're going to look at what obedience is. We're going to look at where obedience comes from. And then we're going to finish our time together by considering what obedience looks like for us today. So first up, let's define obedience to get us going here. What is it? What does it mean? Well, obedience is the act of doing or being willing to do what you've been told by someone 
in authority. That's what obedience is. So if that's what it is, a good question for us to ask, and a question that's actually posed to these returned exiles in chapter one of Haggai, is who is in charge? Yeah, who is the one in authority that we should be listening to and obeying? Now, what we see in Haggai's time is that the predominant voices that the people were obeying, it was a mixture of the surrounding culture and themselves. In the Old Testament book of Ezra, in chapter four, we read of the opposition that people faced at this time, that the external pressures from the nations around them to not rebuild the temple. Look with me at Ezra uh, chapter four, verse four, it says this. It says, then the people of the land, so those nations around them, discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. And in Haggai chapter one, verses two to four, we see the Israelites following their own desires by building what would have been, I guess, in that time, the equivalent to sort of five-star luxurious houses. Look at me again at Haggai 1, verse 2 to 4. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So this mixing pot of voices that the people were listening to was preventing them from building the temple in Jerusalem. They were choosing to follow both these external and their own internal voices over and above what God had told them to do. Now, the interesting thing that we see early in chapter one is that by obeying the culture around them and by obeying themselves, things didn't exactly go well for them. Verses five to 11, it speaks of the fruitlessness of their labors, the frustrations of all their pursuits, of all their endeavors, that the things that they were pouring their lives into were just not delivering what they wanted. Now look, how does this, how does this relate to us? Like I said at the start, all of us, all of us obey something or someone every single moment of our lives. Now, I've recently changed, changed my car, and when I turn the engine on now, on the dashboard, it says in, in just big, bold letters, drive safely and obey the traffic rules. Yeah, it's right in your face. You can't miss it. It's quite aggressive, actually. Every time I start a journey, it's just a big reminder, drive safely and obey the traffic rules. Now, for me, that makes me think of the, of the 20 mile an hour speed limit sign. That's something that I should be obeying. As hard as that is to follow, those of us who drive in here, you'll know just how difficult that can be at times. Uh, I, for one, I have to use the cruise control button um, on my car or my foot. It just, it just can't seem to press the pedal light enough. Now, maybe that is an indictment on my driving skill and ability rather than the actual speed limit sign. So look, perhaps, perhaps it's that. Um, but if it's not the traffic rules, maybe it's the no diving sign at the shallow end of the pool. Now, for the most part, Working at David Lloyd's swimming pool myself, I see this obeyed pretty well. Yeah, pretty well. Albeit you do get the odd rebel just determined, dead set on ending up in A&E. Yeah, it's fascinating. The sign's right there, but they just seem determined to ignore it and end up in A&E. Oh look, if it's not the above, then maybe it's just following the guidance yeah, and instruction of a loving parent 
or a kind friend. We all listen to. We all obey things in our lives all of the time. Even the examples I just gave, as trivial as they may seem, they all affect the quality and type of lives that we live. So let me ask you, as we set this up here, have a think. What about you? Yeah, what about you? How do you decide to make decisions, both big and small? How do you conclude what is right, what's true? Whose opinions you allow to shape your worldview? Whose voices do you give primary ear to each day? What guides your thoughts? What drives your actions? From what we've spoken about so far, is it yourself that you mainly listen to? Maybe it's simply just how you feel on any given day, acting purely on instinct, purely on desire. Or is it the culture, the society, the people around you, the the social media, the articles that you read online, the popular movements, the forms of activism, or, or even peer pressure? What the mass group around you thinks you should believe and thinks you should act like? Perhaps it's a mixture of both. Now, can I ask you, honestly, how is that going for you? Yeah, how is that going? Because I know for me, when I I drift into this way of thinking, when I just listen to myself or to the voices around me, I, I find it so unstable, so inconsistent, with either my emotions and my thoughts just changing on a daily basis, or with those around me that influence me through, through friendships, through news outlets, also altering their advice, or switching up what they say to be true and important all of the time. And this type of obedience, how I live my life, it can leave me frustrated, yeah, disappointed, confused. Now look, I'm not saying here that none of the above can, can ever be a helpful source of information and guidance, but I am saying that there is a danger. Yeah, there is a danger when we give the culture or ourselves primary authority in our lives. Let me just give one, one real, real quick example here that's been driving many societies over the last decade or so, especially in the West. You see, our culture, it is massive, absolutely massive on the freedom of personal choice, isn't it? It's big on self-autonomy, on self-governance. But if this way is meant to be the best way, if obeying simply what we feel good at any given moment is what will lead us to our best life, then how can we see so much despair in our society? Take a moment, just... Let that sink in. Throughout human history, we have never been so keen on promoting individualism and personal freedom, yet we've never been so confused, we've never been so uncertain about who we are and what our lives mean. We've never been so depressed. We've never been so anxious in all our history. So look, If listening to ourselves or simply riding the cultural waves doesn't really work, then what does? Who should we be listening to? Whose voice should we be obeying in our lives? Well, let's look at that now. 
Let's look at where, where true obedience, where does it come from? Look with me again at verse 12 of our passage in Haggai. I'll read it again for us. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. So what, what we see here is after all that was said at the beginning of the chapter, after spending years obeying themselves and obeying those around them, we see the people turn and obey the voice of God. You see, what Christians believe and what the Bible unashamedly teaches is that the primary voice that we should all be listening to, the voice that should be shaping, that should be guiding our entire lives, it should be God's. Yeah, it should be God's. It should be his voice, his word, the Bible. This is where we can all find true freedom and true life. This is where we can find the firm, the solid ground to base our entire lives upon. After all, isn't he the one who who made us? Who designed the entire universe and everything in it? Who knows the intricacies and the details of how everything works, both, both on the big and the worldwide things, but also on the finer and the more personal details of each of our lives. Now look, maybe you're sat there, you're, you're still unconvinced. You're still not sold on the idea that obeying God is best. You may be kind of following and tracing the argument You may be sympathetic to the idea that listening to yourself and listening to the culture, it doesn't really work. But you are still wondering, how can we know that God is definitely the one that we should obey? That God is the one that we should turn our eyes to and open our ears to? Well, our passage in Haggai, it gives us an incredible phrase, a phrase that when taken in, When savoured, it gives us complete confidence to obey God. Look with me at verse 13 of Haggai. It says this, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Did you hear that? Those amazing four words where God says... I am with you. Now, in our passage in Haggai, Haggai says that when the people began to follow God, they were able to experience the power, the presence of God himself as they undertook the massive task of rebuilding his temple. And these words, they invigorated them. Yeah, they gave them such immense encouragement to go and do as God had commanded them. But what about us? What is this phrase? What does it mean for us today? Well, 500 years on in history from Haggai, God would come to be with his people, not just spiritually, but in physical form, in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is here that we see the words, I am with you, reach new depths. You see, God doesn't just simply demand obedience from us, but in Jesus, he perfectly models it himself. 
And it is in Jesus, through his obedience for us, that we see the reason. We see the motivation as to why he is the one that we should all follow. Why he is the foundation that we should build our entire lives upon. And it is this. It's the love of God. Yeah, it's the love of God. You see, God, God isn't just trying to control us with what he says in the Bible, telling us what, what to do and what not to do in some kind of heavy-handed, joy-sapping fashion. No, God, he utterly and supremely loves his people. He wants the best for his people. And the way that we can know this is true with absolute concrete certainty is by looking at Jesus, at God come in the flesh, at God with us. Looking at his life, a life that was lived out in perfect obedience to God the Father, in all that he said, in all that he did. A life that he promises to credit, to give to all those who turn to him in faith. And looking at his death, his death in our place, that was by no means a simple and easy thing for Jesus to do. Far from it. In the book of Philippians, in the New Testament, in chapter two, we are told that it took Jesus being totally obedient to his father to go to the cross. And it was a type of obedience that in the garden of Gethsemane, that we read in the Gospels as Jesus was on the cusp of being arrested and killed, as he prays to the Father about the cup of wrath and judgment that he was about to experience in our place, it caused him to sweat drops of blood. Now, that is a kind of obedience that we cannot even begin to fathom that we cannot even begin to comprehend, and he did it all to pay the price for our disobedience. So in Jesus, we see both his obedience lived out in his life as he perfectly kept the law of God, winning our righteousness. And we witness his obedience in his death on the cross, providing forgiveness for our sins. So what does this all mean? Yeah, what does Jesus' obedience, God's love for us here mean? Well, it shows us that God is undeniably for his people. Yeah? God is 100% totally for us in Jesus. So let me ask you this. If God is for us, if he is willing to go through all that he has for us in his life and in his death, then how much more do you think that he is for us and his commands in the Bible. Do you see? Christians, they are not those who blindly obey what an old historical book says, nor are they those who try to obey what the Bible says to earn God's favor, to win God's affection. But Christians are those who seek to obey the God who is willing to die for them. Not a God who is distant, Not a God who does not care, but a God who came to be with us in our struggles and who through his obedience graciously leads us out of them. Who else better 
can you think of listening to? Who else better to obey and base our lives on than a God who gave his life for us? And the amazing thing that you'll find when you seek to obey and follow what the Bible says in all areas of your life, you see the truth of God's way being the best way. The truth that every command he gives us in his word is a command that leads us to more life, not to less. That there is more blessing, that there is more joy in obedience to God than anywhere else. Perhaps you're in here tonight and and you've never thought of God in this way before. As a personal, as a close God that actually cares about you. Who in Jesus has given absolutely everything for you. If that's you, then why not tonight, or even just in the days ahead, why don't you ask the Christians that you know what it is actually like to live a life obeying Jesus? What is their real experience of this? And I think you'll be surprised. I think you'll be really surprised, actually, at their response. So why don't you do that? Do that this week. So we've looked at what obedience is. We've looked at where it comes from. Let's finish our time together by considering what obedience, what does it look like for us today? There there is an interesting phrase in verses five and seven of chapter one, where, where Haggai repeatedly urges God's people to consider their ways. So as we reflect on what obedience may look like, I think it is right for us to consider how we are doing in our obedience to Jesus to be rightly challenged where we need to be challenged and to be rightly encouraged where we see the fruit of obedience in our lives. Now, now there, are, there really are many things that we could look into. The Bible, it does say so much on this topic. Uh, Jesus, he, he summarizes it well when he says to his followers, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So there are so many ways, so many places and areas that we could, that we could look at. But just for tonight, let me just mention one way that obedience may look like if you're a Christian this evening. In our passage in Haggai, where does the phrase, I am with you, take you in the New Testament? Where does Jesus use these very words? It's in the Great Commission, isn't it? It's in, it's in Matthew 28. So let me just read those verses for us. Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So obedience for the Jews in Haggai's time, amongst many other things, it practically looked like them building the temple in Jerusalem. And one thing that we're called to do in our obedience is to share the good news of Jesus with everyone around us, to show them just how wonderful, just how amazing obeying him really is both in the way that we live and we act in this world, our character, our conduct, but also in our words, as we seek to tell the people all that he has done for us. Now, for some of us, that may sound very normal. 
That sort of obedience, it comes very naturally to you in your current season as you go about your life. You find yourself at ease with sharing Jesus with your family, with your friends, with your work colleagues. But, but I think for most of us, this area of obedience is actually really challenging. You see, sometimes obeying Jesus in all the different spheres of life, it can feel as easy as breathing. You don't even have to think about it. But other times... Man, oh man, is obedience hard, isn't it? It can be so, so hard at times. And for some of us, this kind of obedience in speaking of Jesus is in fact extremely difficult. It creates in us a nervousness, an anxiety that can be hard to shake off. Well, let me encourage us all from from verse 14 of Haggai. Listen to what it says. It says, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Did you hear that? After God had declared that he was with his people, we read that God himself stirred up their spirits to help them obey. And the same is true for us today. We are not alone when we seek to obey God. The strength to follow his commands in the Bible, it does not come from us. When we try to live godly and Christ-like lives in front of those around us, when, when we try to tell people about Jesus, we are not alone. Jesus himself declared in Matthew 28 that he is with us in this task. By his spirit, he works powerfully in and through us to help us to obey him in this area. And that should give us such great comfort, shouldn't it? Such great comfort and confidence in our evangelism. So look, be encouraged. As you consider this area of obedience in your life, however you feel that you're currently doing, whether, you, whether you're smashing out the park, you're telling everyone that you know about Jesus, you're just overflowing, you can't contain it. Or perhaps maybe most of us, we're falling a little bit short in what God is asking us in this area. Be encouraged as you seek to faithfully go and make disciples in your lives, knowing that God is with you and that he promises to equip you and empower you in your obedience. So yeah, go, go and make disciples and look, Finally, as we close, how about if you're not a Christian here today? You don't know Jesus, you don't follow him. May I just invite you in here with what the first step of obedience looks like for you. In the Gospel of John, we read of what Jesus said to those who were seeking after him, wondering what it is that they need to do to be his followers. So look with me at John chapter 6, verse 28. It says this, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So if that is you this evening, that you are someone who is considering Jesus and what it means to follow him, did you hear that your first step of obedience is to believe in Jesus Christ? That's it. That's all that God requires of you to place your hope, to place your trust in his only son who he sent to live and die for you. That's where it all starts. 
So why not today? Even this evening, you come to Jesus for the very first time and start a lifelong journey of obeying him. That isn't always the easiest. It isn't always the most comfortable life. But it is the best life. A life well lived under the loving guidance of our creator and our redeemer. Both now and on into eternity with him. Let me pray for us and then we're going to sing out again in praise to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to get into your word this evening. Thank you for Haggai. Thank you for all that we have read and the different passages that we've been in, in your inspired word. Lord, I pray this evening that if there's one thing that people take away from what has been said up here tonight, it is a new awe and wonder at all that you have won for us, Jesus, in your obedience for us, in your life and in your death. Lord, please, yeah, warm our hearts with that truth. And I pray that as we reflect on that truth tonight and on into the week ahead, I pray that that overflows out into the way that we, the way that we seek to be obedient to you in the ways of evangelism and in all the different ways that you speak and call for our obedience in your word. Lord, please have that be something that flows from our adoration and trust in you, not in a way that crushes us, that makes us think we need to obey to earn your affection. Lord, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that you have done it all for us in Jesus. So help us with with glad and full hearts, seek to obey you, knowing that your way is the best way. And I pray that for those who don't know you this evening. Please just show them that obeying the culture, obeying themselves, it does not work. It's exhausting. But obeying you, following you, Jesus, truly is the way to life now and on into eternity that we'll spend with you. So be with us now as we sing, but I thank you for an opportunity to open your word. In Jesus' name, amen.